Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. God, praise God. Isn't God good this morning? Amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. We are glad that you are joining us today. Whether you are here today live in service or whether you are online today watching us live or whether you are watching us at a later time, uh, we do appreciate you. We appreciate all that God is doing in your life. Amen. And we just want to take this moment to welcome everybody. We also, real quick, want to release all the teenagers. So if you're a teenager here, junior high, high school, we want to release you, let you go. You could go in the back. Alex is in the back. He's got both hands up. He's acting like a stewardess showing the exits in all the rows. Amen. Certainly, you can follow him. Amen. Just a couple things real quick. Uh, that we want to do. First of all, we, we've had a very special prayer request. And if we could, would you join with me just in prayer real quick uh, for our brother Joe DeBolt. He's going in for some procedures, and we just want to believe God. Uh, he's He really needs a miracle from God. And so would you join me real quick in prayer? Father, we just come before you, and Lord, we lift up Joe to you, God. Father, we thank you for our brother, and we thank you for his testimony. And Father, we pray, God, that right now that you would move upon him. Father, we send the word, God, as your word says in Psalm 107, 20, you sent the word, and you healed them, and you delivered them from all their destruction. And Father, right now we claim that, we stand upon that for Joe. And Father, we pray that you would touch his body even as he's watching right now this, this service. Father, we pray that you touch him, minister to him, God. We speak life to his lungs right now in Jesus' name. We speak that they will operate as they were created. We speak to his heart. Father, when they do those tests, Father, that it will come back positive. God, that it will not have any defect. And Father, that you would bring a creative miracle in his life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Also, real quick, just I know that we've, we, we are trying to figure out this whole announcement gig, and we're going to get it figured out here one day. But uh, we do want to reiterate uh, uh, the speaker's world. Uh, uh, Derman is uh, putting that class together again. He will be out in the foyer. As you know, we've had just some tremendous classes, people's lives changed by it. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, learning how to share your testimony and how to communicate, uh, this is a great class for you. He has more information in the foyer. Also, please remember Breakthrough Tonight. Breakthrough Tonight. Now, I, there's a lot of people here. You say, well, what, that, what is all that about? It is about exactly that, breakthrough. So if you need a breakthrough in your life, that breakthrough doesn't just, we don't trip over breakthrough. Amen? You have to, you have to initiate. You have to, you have to be deliberate and say, you know what, God, like Moses, he turned aside, saw the, the, the bush burning, and he had a breakthrough. Amen. So it's that turning aside. It's that deliberateness. So that's at 6 o'clock tonight. And then also remember, every uh, Tuesday, every Tuesday at 6.30, we have a prayer meeting right here in the 
the church, and we encourage everyone to come. Uh, doing business, I love uh, Nathan uh, Hopkins runs that. He leads that group, and I love what he always says. He goes, we got work to do. Amen. And certainly there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, God depends. God moves by prayer. Can you say amen? And he depends on his church, his people uh, coming before him and laying at his feet our needs. And so uh, we do that. We pray for our government. We pray for our church. We pray for a variety of different things. And this is an opportunity to actually affect change. Can you say amen? And so, so come on out. Be a part of that at 630 on Tuesday nights, every Tuesday night. Amen. We want to step into uh, the, the, the last class in this series. Now, I have to put out a little bit of a disclaimer because uh, the first one is uh, I had to really wrestle to make this four classes instead of five because uh, it was moving into five really quickly. Um, but I, I, we are going to end it today. And then I'm going to tell you at 8.30 service, and we'll see what happens today, but at 8.30 service, it just seemed to take on a life of its own. Um, and I, I'm not really sure exactly uh, what was being accomplished in this, other than in the sense that I know that God was moving in p- particular people and that he was touching them and ministering to them. And so we've been in this series on encouraging yourself in the Lord. And it's no secret, it's no, uh, it doesn't escape anyone here today to know that we are in some very critical times. Uh, we are living through difficult moments, and, and it's affecting us on every level. I mean, it's affecting everything in our life. It's, whether it's uh, the COVID virus, whether it's economics, whether it's the election, depending on your political bias, and on and on and on, everything is being affected. And we are in a time where it can be extremely discouraging, but probably more so it is more frustrating and exhausting. Uh, When I talk to people, the thing that I probably hear more than anything is that people just generally feel exhausted because we're just living in this sense of mild anxiety. You know, on any given day, a good day is anxiety when it's mild, and and people are feeling that. They, you know, it's, 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 it's something that's stirring in the atmosphere, as it were. But let me tell you something. Let me assure you today that God is up to something. Thing. Um, uh, the other day I posted something, I saw something on Facebook and I reposted it, and it was a, a snippet of, of a Bill, one of Billy Graham's sermons, and, and what he had to say in this sermon was just so fundamental, and it, it is so true. He began, and he was preaching on, out of the book of Habakkuk in the, in the Old Testament. If you've ever read that book, you'll know that that book is a prophetic book, but it's also a book that has lots of wisdom in it. It's a book of challenge. Challenge. Um, it's a book where the prophet is being very honest with God, but yet God is being very honest with him, and it's describing the future. And Habakkuk opens the book with basically a complaint. He's basically tired of what he's seen in the world around him. And how many have got that feeling? How many have wanted to go before God and just look at God and go, you know, what's up, dude? You know, it, this, this ain't what I planned for. This, this, you know, I'm in the, I'm at a point in my life where I'm in the gold years, and this, this don't seem too golden to me. I, I was hoping things would be a little more relaxed. And, and so Habakkuk, he's having this moment. And how many know that ba- you know, question, or complaints are really kind of a, a, a unique way to make a, uh, ask a question? 
You know, it's when we're complaining, we're wanting to know what's up, why? And God's response to Habakkuk in this thing, it's like, what are you doing? How long is this going to go on? You know, what's, what's happening here? And, and God responds to Habakkuk and says, if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. And that, that struck me because I believe that's true about the day and age that we're living in. I, I think that if God truly told us what he's up to, I'm not so sure that we'd even believe it. Because sometimes we have what we want so much. It's not so much that we want an answer from God as much as we want God to validate what we believe the answer should be. Yeah. Amen. And so what happens is we, we tend to put this out there, but God says, I am up to something. And that was the, that's the takeaway from Habakkuk is that God was saying, I am at work. And so Billy Graham goes on and he says, you know what, sometimes we can get the feeling in those moments that somehow God has abdicated his throne or that he has just kind of checked out or he has left us alone or that, you know, somewhere in, in, in our mind we, we think that maybe, you know, God maybe got tired of this whole thing and said, look, this universe is too messed up. I'm going to go to another one and see where we can work it out there. You know, whatever God does in his, um, you know, majesty and his uh, infamy, you know, all of that going on. But that's not the case at all. God has not given up. Let me tell you something. God has not left the throne. God is still very much at work. And, and you know what? He is moving. And so the bottom line is in seasons like this, what we need to do is we need to trust him. Can you say amen? We, we, we don't, our faith is, we don't put our faith in our government. We don't put our faith in, in, in our church. We don't put our faith even in ourselves, our money, or, you know, what we can do or can't do. Our faith is in Jesus. Can you say amen? Because in Jesus, when everything else crumbles, when everything else fails and falls apart, what happens is Jesus is still standing. Jesus is still there. He still makes a way. So our faith is in him. Can you say amen? And so this morning, I think that a lot of us are in that place, and I want to encourage you that in this moment, in this place, what you do is you put your faith in him, Amen. that you put your faith in him. And you say, well, why would you say that to a church that's Christian? Because church, we struggle with putting our faith in him. We put our faith in a lot of things, but sometimes we wonder, have you ever noticed how much the devil gets airtime? Have you noticed, I mean, God can come on the scene and he can speak a blessing over our lives, but the devil can come up and sneeze and we are fixated. We are fixated. It's like, but he said, he's not the ruler of the universe. He doesn't have the last word. In fact, he's lying when he's talking. But yet what we do is we go, that is important. God says, no, no, put your trust in me. And, you know, this is what this whole series has been about is in the midst of those hard times and in the midst of those difficult moments that we learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. The key is in the Lord. Can you say amen? Now, one of the things, and I have to tell you up front, I, uh, I, 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 at 8.30, I, to be honest with you, I didn't preach my notes at 8.30. 
it was, it was very different than what I had written, so it's probably going to come out the same today. The notes are there. It's a safety net, and just in case I get wobbly on the tightrope and fall off, I got notes. But we're probably not going to go that way. But I want, to, I want to share with you, I want to share like I did in the 830 service, my heart in this matter. Because one of the things that, like once again, I will say to you, and it's no secret, but there's a lot of people that are struggling. Now let me say this, struggle has never been the problem, it's what we do in the struggle that is the problem. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? And one of the things that I've noticed is that people really do what we want. What we want is we want out of the struggle. And very rarely do we want to go through the struggle. But what I find in the Word of God is more often, now it's not, the accept, it's, not, it's not an absolute because there are times where God delivers people out of their situation, but more often what God does is God gets us through a situation. He gets us through it. And the reason that he gets us through it is because there's something that's transpiring in the process that is extremely important. What's in the process is our understanding of who he is. It's our understanding of who we are. It's our understanding of our ability or it's our knowledge that he will be faithful to his word. That he is in fact at work, though I may not see it, he is at work in my life right now. I remember years ago uh, hearing a, an interview, and you, you might remember uh, the, the story behind this, but uh, it was an interview with Jim Lovell. Jim Lovell was the commander of Apollo 13. And if you remember, uh, they made a big movie, Tom Hanks and Ron Howard and all that, made a, a movie called Apollo 13, and, and uh, they interviewed Jim Lovell. And I remember the interview. I was struck by the interview because he, he, they asked him basically the question they asked him was, you know, how accurate is the movie? Did it really follow the storyline? Did it really uh, represent what happened there? And he goes, yeah, you know, pretty much it did. He goes, because, you know, they hired me as a consultant on it. He goes, but the one thing that, that, that I don't believe they could capture is he says, I don't believe they could, uh, could, could uh, uh, capture the intensity of what we were feeling on that spaceship. He says, because, you know, th these actors, they have to act and they have to portray it. But he says, this was a, an intense moment. And he goes, there was one line in the, in the movie where uh, Jim Lovell, uh, uh, Tom Hanks, as Jim Lovell makes this statement, he looks at the other two guys and he says, gentlemen, what are your intentions? And Jim Lovell's sharing this and he says, you know what, that line came a little bit differently in reality than it was portrayed in the movie. He says, <clears throat> there came a time when we were at the pinnacle of our stress. Our spaceship has just blown up. He says, we were further along in the, in the journey than what was being represented. The idea of a direct abort, he says, was not an option. There wasn't enough fuel to do it. And he said that at that point, we, we came to a place where we had basically two decisions. One is that this spacecraft was going to become our coffin, or that we were going to use this spacecraft as a lifeboat home. And he says, and I looked at him and I said, gentlemen, what are your intentions? And we made a decision that getting out was not an option. So he said, we made the decision that we had to get through it. We had to get through this problem. And so one of the things that I see in Christianity so much is that we are forever trying to get out of things rather than through them. We, do, we don't want to get through because 
getting through some things is painful. We don't like that. We don't like being stretched. We don't like that growth process. We don't like what's happening. We just want to take our ball and go home, as it were. Can you say amen? It's, I just want this to be over with. And the problem with that kind of thinking is, is it shuts down our ability to really connect with God because then we begin to put God on trial. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We begin, to, we begin to wonder what are his motives in this? What is he doing? What, why isn't he responding? Why isn't he doing any more? Why I, am I in this situation? We, we begin to put ourselves on trial. We begin to think that we're a failure, that somehow we've done something to bring this about, or, or if I was a better Christian, or if I, you know, if I read the Bible more, if I prayed harder, or did all this stuff, and my performance was better, then, then this wouldn't be happening. And so what we do is we really begin to look at things that are irrelevant to the situation. The Bible tells us, and and I'll I'll say this to you, I'm probably not going to have a text today. I know that's not traditional, but I am going to talk a lot Bible, okay? So you just hang on with me. Because the Bible says this, the Bible talks about seed time and harvest. God says seed time and harvest is going to last as long as the earth. That means the process of growth is going to come in the position of sowing a seed, waiting for growth, and then harvesting the fruit. See, in the Bible, people were really in tune to the agricultural realities of life. It's not so much in our day and age. See, if I want an apple, I just go to the store. Back in the day, they had to grow it. Amen. If, you know, now, now what I do is I get in this magical box that has wheels called a car, and it gets me from point A to point B a really, really quick. And then I go into this magical box called a grocery store, and I get all my food and go home. And I call it hunting, but it's really not hunting. I'm not hunting by any stretch of the imagination. I remember a time when my dad and I went fishing one time. We fished all day in the lake, caught nothing. Driving home, we saw a trout farm where you could throw a line in with corn on it, and we came home with 12 trout and we were the great white fishermen how many you know, it's it, you know I've, I've heard of guys that you know and this I, th- I believe this is illegal but I've heard of guys that go out to a an area where they're deer hunting and they'll put bales of hay and salt licks out and 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 then all of it that's not hunting that that's not hunting that's that's observing and so somewhere along the line, what we do is we convince ourselves that this is what we're doing. But the Bible shows us that seed time and harvest is at work. So that means there's a process. So in this thing called encouragement, this thing getting through, there's a process. There are things that are being sown into our heart. But we don't like wait. So what we do is we get the shovel out. I mean, minutes after we've sown the truth into our heart, we're out in the field digging it up. And God says, leave it alone. Let it be. Just let that sit. I, you know, sometimes what we do is we'll, you know, we hear things like we, we need to connect with God. We need to be in his presence. We need to go pray. And we go do that, and the answer doesn't come immediately. Sometimes, but not all the time. Most of the time, the answer that you get today was from a prayer you prayed yesterday. And the prayer you're praying today will be answered tomorrow. Why? Because there's seed time and harvest. There's a process of development and growth in it. We don't like that process. We want it now. We like instantaneous. Can you say amen? And so what happens is we wonder, like the other day, I, 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 this actually happened to me. It was a little bit more emotional in the 830 service this morning. But last night I was struggling. And so I, I got in my car and I went and drove around town. I drove 20 miles inside Kingman. That's a feat. Because, I mean, the distance from my house to here is three miles. You've got to drive a lot of times back and forth. 
And But I drove around and I was praying. And you know what? To be honest with you, when I got home, I didn't feel all that much better. But this morning in the 8.30 service, God began to speak to me while I was preaching to the church. And he was answering me in the service of the prayer that I had yesterday. And it's like, you know what, somewhere along the line, if I will just shut my mouth long enough and say, you know what, God, you're doing something, and I trust that you're at work, that he will actually work in my life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so somewhere along the line, what God began to do is God began to speak to me about this whole subject. Because you know what, David, David was one of the greatest men in the Bible. I mean, this is a man that had a throne that says that is going to last forever. Jesus himself is, is recognized as sitting on the throne of David. In fact, Jesus himself is called the son of David. This is a man that touched heaven. Can you say amen? David was a man that had a relationship with God. Yet this was also a man that was no stranger to trouble. This is a man that had, he was no stranger to problems. And when he was at the pinnacle of his stress, when he was at the pinnacle of <clears throat> what seemed to be life going against him, his men are ready to kill him. Everything has been stolen. It looks like he's a horrible failure. What does he do? He goes, the Bible says, and he encourages himself in the Lord. He does exactly what we need to do, and David becomes this awesome, awesome example for us. Can you say amen? amen? He becomes this example of how we are to handle our crises. He becomes this example of how we get through the trouble, how we get through it so that we can have this encounter with the living God, so that we can hear him, so that we can walk with him, so that we can know him in these moments. And so he encourages himself in the Lord. And we looked at that and we begin to wonder, well, what, what is it that David did? Well, the first thing that we identified is we identified that he got alone with God and we found out that, in fact, Jesus did the very same thing. That Jesus, as the Son of God and, the, and also as the Son of Man, because he held both titles, he was fully God, yet he was fully man, and he was operating out of his humanity, and his humanity needed to be alone with the Lord. And he's in this moment, think about it for a moment, Jesus, there was one story about Jesus that he was up in the mountain, he was alone with God, and the reason that he had gone up there is because he had just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, was going to get his head cut off. And John is starting to struggle. He's, he's, he's facing his own martyrdom and he's struggling and, and doubts begin to plague his mind. In fact, he says to his disciples, go to Jesus and say, are you truly the one or should we look for another? And Jesus responds to his disciples. He doesn't respond in condemnation. He doesn't look at him and go, how dare you doubt me? He doesn't do that. In fact, what he does is he's, he encourages them. He redirects his thought patterns to where it should be. He goes, you go tell him the dead are being raised, bodies are being healed, eyes are being opened, deaf ears are being opened, and the gospel of the kingdom is being preached to everyone that lives. He says, you go tell him that, and he says, and he'll know that I am the real deal. And so then he begins to speak about John. He says, you know what? John is the greatest prophet in all of the Old Testament. He says he is, he is all that in a bag of chips. He goes, but I tell you that the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. 
And he begins to redirect our minds. He, Jesus is wonderful at redirecting our minds. Can you say amen? And so it's in this moment that this is all going on that the crowd begins to show up. And so here is Jesus literally in a crisis moment. A family member, a close family member is going to be killed because he stood for righteousness. And now the, the crowd, the people are demanding something of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that when you are in your crisis, that oftentimes that's when people come out of the woodwork and want the most from you? All of a sudden, when you're struggling, you, maybe you have a sick husband or a sick wife, or maybe there's a financial um, uh, crisis going on where you don't know how ends are going to meet, or maybe you're having trouble with your children, or there's a child that's going wayward, or maybe there's a marriage that's on the rocks, or whatever it might be, and then all of a sudden, all of these pesky people show up, and they want a little bit of, of you. They want a little bit more from you. This is exactly where Jesus is. But Jesus understood in that moment to get through it that what he needed was to be lost in his father. He understood that getting alone with God was the key to his success. And that's what David found out by encouraging himself in the Lord. This is a powerful truth, church. We cannot substitute being alone with God with anything else. You have to get alone with God. And you know what? It's not just going to happen. You have to be intentional. Like I said earlier, Moses took the time to turn aside. Burning bushes in that day were not unusual because they still do it today. They will do what's called spontaneous combustion, these creosote bushes. Because of the heat, they'll, they'll burst in flame, and it's not something that's unusual. But this one got his attention. He would have passed by, but this time he turned aside. And when he turned aside, he was intentional. He said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this out. And all of a sudden, he found out that he was standing on holy ground. And he found out that God had a call for him and that his life was not lost and that God was going to do something powerful in his life. Church, we have to be intentional about getting alone with God. Can you say amen? Then we found out, we went on and we found out that, that in the midst of this, what we do is in, in this getting alone with God, it's this idea of practicing the presence of God. That somewhere what we do is we learn to every day in the small things acknowledge him. What we do is we say, you know what, God, you're here. I don't care if I feel it or not. I know you're here because your word says you will never leave me or forsake me. So I say you're here. When you get a parking, a favorable parking spot at the grocery store, what do you say? Thank you, Jesus. You did that. That's favor on my life. Because if you can't acknowledge him in the small thing, you will never acknowledge him in the big thing. Right. It's we learn in the small thing. We understand this. We, you know, our children, why, why is it that we celebrate a child that stands to his feet and falls on his face? Why do we celebrate that? I mean, because somewhere we take pictures of it and we go, look how cute this is. Look at this wonder. Because we understand this is the process of this person becoming a normal, healthy adult walking in life. But see, somewhere in Christianity, when we get up and we stumble and we fall, everybody wants to criticize and everybody wants to condemn. Thank God they stood. Thank God they got to their feet. Thank God that what we did is acknowledge God. And we started in the small. And I know that sometimes that will seem a little weird. Sometimes that will feel a little phony. But we have to get through the phony before it gets real. 
See, we're forever saying things like this. You know what? I, I, all I've got is $50 to my name, but if God would give me $100 million, I'd be a lot happier. Let me tell you, if you can't manage the 50, you will never manage the $100 million. It'll just take a lot more time for you to waste it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we need to start with the small. We need to acknowledge him. I know. That's why I'm changing my vocabulary. If you noticed this morning, I said, I know you're here, God. I know you're here. He said, I don't care what I feel in the room. You're here. Why? Because you said I'll be there. You said I'll never leave you or forsake you. If you all didn't bring him in, I certainly did, and he's here. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So I acknowledge him whether I feel it or not, and I practice the presence, and I begin to realize that in that presence, his word in John 15, 5, that says that I can do nothing without him is so true. I've been reading a book by a man that lived in the 1600s. He, he, his, his first name is actually Nicholas, but when he joined a monastery, he became known as Brother Lawrence. I'm not sure why they changed their name, but that's what they did. And so he wrote this book called Practicing the Presence. And in that book, he talks about, and the one thing that really stood out to me, there's many things that stood out, but the one that was probably the pinnacle is he said this, I cannot pick up a piece of straw off the ground without him. That was way he, he submitted that everything he did, whether he was washing dishes or whether he was going on errands, that God was with him. And it was through the power of God that he accomplished all that he accomplished, even if it was menial and mundane. And literally, he, he invited Jesus into every aspect of his life. And the result is, is that after probably about 30 years, people from all over the world would travel to hear the wisdom of this man. And they said, they said in, in the end, the glory of God was thicker in the kitchen in the basement than it was in the sanctuary. Why? Because he practiced the presence. And then we found out, we learned, we went on from there, and we found out that what we really need to do is we need to spend time meditating on God's word. That what we do is we find some scripture and we spend some time meditating on that word. We begin to put it in front of our eyes. We begin to uh, uh, think about it. We, let me tell you something, church. We know how to meditate. Let me prove it to you. So tonight, let's say today you go home. And today when you get home, taped to your door is some sort of late notice that says that if you don't pay this bill, we're going to sue you tomorrow. And then you realize, oh my God, I don't have the money to pay this. It's a couple thousand dollars. What am I going to do? And you spend the rest of the day consumed in thought about what that is. You are now meditating. That's meditation. You say, well, what, what, what do we do with the word? See, meditation's not about emptying our mind. Meditation is about filling our heart and our spirit with the word of God. It's about taking that and holding that in, holding that in front of our eyes. Don't let our eyes depart from the truth. I told you a couple weeks ago, I told you about the vision that I had. It wasn't an open vision. It was in my mind. It was during prayer. And I told you about the the man in the room, and he's chopping and all of that, and the presence of God came, and basically what he said is, my presence will overwhelm whatever is overwhelming you. But what I didn't tell you, there was a, another part of that that I kept for myself. I told the staff, but I didn't, I didn't tell the church, is after I got done praying that day, I, I, I left the prayer room, and as I left the prayer room, I closed the door, and God spoke to me. And he said this, he said it very emphatically, he said, John, Things are about to get a lot better 
very soon. That's what he said to me. And so I've been meditating and I th- I've been thinking about that and I've been pondering that. In fact, this morning when I came to church, I was working through some struggles and, and so I was sitting there in my office and I was alone and on a piece of paper in front of me, I wrote that down. I, I wrote down, it's going to get a lot better very soon. And I begin to think about that and I begin to ponder that and I went, God, you're so good. But then, let me tell you, it was challenged. Because that stinking devil, how many know what I'm talking about? He was right there and he wanted, to, he wanted to speak in my ear. And so you know what he did is he took that word because he read over my shoulder. He's looking over my shoulder reading that and he goes, yeah, but you know God's timing. How soon is soon? That's what he said to me. And so you know what I did is I actually, I actually deliberately turned my head towards what I perceived was his presence. And I looked at him and I said, I don't care about timing. It's getting a lot better, so shut your mouth. See, somewhere along the line, the devil's talking to you. You need to talk to him. I was talking with Nathan. He's the leader of our prayer group on Tuesdays, and he was mentioning to me that he had a similar moment. He, he's, he's kinda, he feels like he's in the presence of God, and, and all of a sudden he's feeling this thing where the devil is, is speaking to him going, who are you? Who do you think you are? And Nathan told me that he was talking to God about that. And God reminded Nathan, you know what? You need to go ask the devil who he thinks he is. See, see, the, the reality is I know who I am. I'm a child of God, and I know who God is. He's king eternal. But devil, you're a liar. Who do you think you are running your mouth? See, somewhere along the line, those moments, we, we have to be deliberate. We have to stand, and we have to speak to it. We have to say something. That comes out of our meditation. People ask me, they, you know, I, I have the notes. I, I'm telling you, I, 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 I got them. They're all right here. Let's see how pretty. This is all, they're all right there. That's all of them. You say, well, why, why aren't you? Because it's in me. Because for the last five weeks, I've been thinking about this. I've been praying this. I've been meditating on this. It's inside of me. It's in me. And that's why I can stand up here and I can speak intelligently because it's real. It's gaining life. It's beginning to grow. I'm beginning to see the, the bud. I, I don't see all the fruit, but I, I, you know one of the things that was so cool about having a garden, when you saw things beginning to blossom, you begin to understand, oh wait, that's the beginning. That's the beginning. The blossom is the first stage of fruit. And you go, oh my God, fruit is on its way. My work is not in vain. The labor that I've put in, the weeding and the sowing and the planting and the tilling and the toiling of the soil, it's not been in vain. There is a harvest coming. And somewhere, church, what we have to do is meditate on that. And we have to let it grow. Are you hearing me? Then this morning, what we're going to do is we finish this up because we begin to look at, okay, what's next? Because when you think about David, when you think about David encouraging himself in the Lord, what did he do? It is no doubt in my mind that what David did at first, when he got alone with God, the first thing he did was he began to remind himself of the victories he had already experienced. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, if you take a cursory look at the book of Psalms, you find out that this idea of remembering is throughout the Psalms. This idea of remembering the good and wonderful works of the Lord. 
In fact, God told the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, he told them this. He said, look at, remember that it was me that gave you power to get wealth. Remember what I did. See, the failure, what happened to the children of Israel in the desert is they forgot what God had just done. What they did is they forgot all of the miracles that God uh, wrought in their presence to free them from the hand of Pharaoh. Now they're in the desert, and what happens is they're beginning to believe. They're beginning to accuse God. You, you, you brought us out here to die. You set us up. There were not enough graves in Egypt, so you brought us out here to die. Don't forget. Don't, re, don't pay any attention to those miracles that he did. Don't pay any attention to the power that he released. Just pay attention to the current circumstances. Sometimes, church, we got to remind ourselves what God has already done. I believe this is what David did. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because when, if you remember when Goliath was running his mouth, he's, he's, he's taunting the children of Israel. And Israel, the armies of Israel are shaking in their boots. In fact, the Bible says their knees were knocking together. This describes the intensity of their fear. David comes on the scene. He's bringing lunch to his brothers. And he hears Goliath running in his mouth. And David stopped. And he says, wait a second. Wait a second. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should come against the armies of the Lord? David is just taken aback. He's like, what's going on? His brothers say, shut up. David says, no, wait a second. Isn't there a cause here? What are you guys doing? Why are you so afraid? Who is this one that is coming against the armies of the Lord? And so as David is, is doing his thing, somebody went to King Saul they said, hey, there's a little kid over here that's really running his mouth. And, it, and I don't even know if David actually really volunteered, but somewhere along the line, what happened? Somebody told the king that David was ready to go fight. And so the king calls him. Think about this. The king calls him and looks at him and goes, look, at, you are just a ruddy little boy. And Goliath has been a warrior since he was a boy. What are you going to do? And listen to what David does. David says, you know what? When the lion came into camp, God gave me the lion. And when the bear came into the camp, God gave me the bear. And I am confident that God will give me Goliath today. It's an amazing story. What is he doing? Not only is he, he, he what, is, what is he? He's reading his resume. He's going, let me tell you why I believe this. Because this ain't my first rodeo. This ain't the first time I've had a problem. This ain't the first time I've come up against a loud mouth. This isn't the first time I've come up against a liar. This isn't the first time I've been tempted. This isn't the first time I've been tried to pull aside. The last time I did it, God gave me the victory. And I am confident that my God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I am confident that God will give me Goliath just like he gave me the lion and the bear. He even used his memory to convince the one that had the authority to put him in the position. In fact, this idea, this idea of remembering is so powerful that it literally becomes an institution in our Christianity. You see what I mean? When Jesus was with his disciples in the Passover in the upper room, he took bread, the Bible says, he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which was broken for you. As oft as you do this, do this in remembrance 
of me. For you are showing, you are acknowledging the death and resurrection of my life. It becomes an ordinance in Christian faith, the communion. The act of communion is not a religious service. The act of communion is not you and I just getting together and sharing a little bit of bread and grape juice. The act of communion is not making us feel like we're doing a religious duty. The act of communion is that you and I get together and we remember that in fact the body of the living God was broken for me as payment for my healing. And that his blood, every last drop was poured out. He was exsanguated on that cross so that I could live. So that when I look to him, that I could have eternal life in him. Can you say amen to that? It is the very, pre- it is the very pinnacle. It's the foundation upon all that we believe. And he says, as often as you do that, and everybody has an interpretation of how often. Well, I'll tell you what my wife and I have done. And this has revolutionized not only our relationship, but it's, it's helping us in ways that are unspeakable. My wife and I, about a year and a half ago, started taking communion together every night before we go to bed. We have a little communion set. She sets it up. We get together. And when we think about the bread, when we think about the broken body, we begin to pray for those that are in our life, in our church, that have broken bodies. Many of you we pray for by name every night as we take that bread. We declare the promise of the Word of God, sending the Word to heal. I'm, I'm convinced today there are people that are still alive because of those prayers. Yeah. I'm convinced that in any other situations, doctors scratch their head and go, I don't, you ought to be dead. Every textbook says you should be gone, but yet you're still taking nourishment and breathing. Why? Because there's two people that decided to just trust in the Lord. Two people that decided to say, you know what, the bread, remembering what Jesus did on the cross was more than just a religious act. And then when we, when we go into the, we take the cup, we begin to think about our family. We begin to think about our, our immediate family and our extended church family. And we think about the, the, the words on our wall that aren't just words, grace, hope, and transformation. And we begin to believe, God, let us experience grace, hope, and transformation those that are struggling in their life, those that are finding themselves in difficult situations, God, your blood was poured out, so we plead the blood. We plead the blood of Jesus over their minds and their hearts, their souls. We remember. We remember what he did. I believe that's what David did when he was encouraging himself in the Lord. And then when you remember, listen, when you remember what the Lord did, When you remember it, that leads you into worship. You can't help but worship his name. You can't help but to say, oh, my God, you are awesome. You are holy and high and lifted up. Your train fills the temple. He said, what's the significance of that? That word that when it says train fills, it literally in the Hebrew is a picture of a train that continues to enter. His majesty and glory continues to enter the temple for eternity. It never stops. His glory, His majesty, and I magnify Him, and then I talk to Him, and I I worship Him, and I spend that time, and I lift up His name, for His name declares His benefit towards me. He is El Shaddai. He is the Almighty One, all-powerful One. Nothing is too small or too big for Him. There is nothing that He can't do. 
He is awesome in every way. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is Jehovah Rapha, my healer. He is Jehovah Shammah. He is the God that is there. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord God, my peace. He is Jehovah Nisi. He is the victory or the banner. He is the flag that flies high above my heart, showing that the king is actually in. He is the victory. He is the standard of victory in my life. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. He is my righteousness. He is Jehovah M. Kadesh. He is my sanctification. He is El Olam. He is the everlasting one. He is my God, my king. He is, uh, uh, he is uh, my counselor. He is my father. He is, he is he's there everywhere. He is everything to me. And I worship his name. Mighty King. He's a mighty God, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His word, the word peace is, is really the antidote to chaos. Jesus stands up in the midst of st- in a storm and says, peace, be still. And that is his name. That is who he is. That is what he communicates to me. And I worship him. I worship him in it. Can you say amen to that? Can you say amen? Give God glory right now. Just tell him you love him. Father, we thank you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And then the last thing as we begin to close this service and Jason can come. The last thing is, is it's, a, it's a verse that's found, and if they'll put it, I think they have it there in the back, if they'll put it on the board. It's found in the book of Jude. There's only one chapter in the book of Jude, so it's Jude 1.20. And it says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit. See, when I think about that, I I think about that building yourself up in your most holy faith. Another way to say it is encouraging yourself in the Lord. And you know, I know today, and I'm not going to get into it a lot, I know that there's a lot of ways, there's many methods in praying in the Spirit. And I'm not going to get into all of those and debate all of those, but the one way that I have found, I'm just going to communicate my experience, is to pray in tongues. I pray in tongues. I pray in that prayer language that the Holy Spirit gives me. And you know, it's, it's in those moments that when I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to think, it's in those moments I don't know what to do that the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in, in Romans 8, 26, that when I have not the words for prayer, the Holy Spirit intercedes through me and with me with words and groanings I can't even utter. And so what I do is I begin to pray in the Holy Spirit and I begin to, to just to in faith. I, what I do sometimes if I'm dealing with a subject that I don't know how to pray for, I, I kind of imagine in my mind that subject and then I pray in the Holy Spirit. Or if I'm praying for a person, I try to see them in my mind's eye and I try to keep my mind focused on that person as I'm praying in the Spirit. I try not to go on autopilot because it's very easy to go on autopilot and let your mind drift. I try to discipline my mind to stay focused on him while I'm praying in the Spirit, knowing that it is actually the Holy Spirit in me that's praying, and he is praying now the perfect will of God for the situation. I remember years ago, Pastor Alex and I were talking, and, and Pastor Alex, many of you may not know this, he was a, an associate pastor of a church and. Colorado Springs, and when he was in that church, the senior pastor uh, of that church would often go uh, to various countries and states, and he would do crusades, and he would do revival meetings and seminars and all this type of thing. And he told Alex, he, he told Pastor Alex that 
uh, he learned very early on that in preparation for these meetings, that what he would do is he would get in the hotel alone. And he would get down, he would kneel and by the bed in the hotel room. And he would quietly pray in the spirit and in tongues. It would be out loud, but it wouldn't be obnoxious. It would just be quiet in that room. And he would pray for a half hour to an hour just in the spirit. And he began to notice that as he made that his habit, the dynamic of those meetings, the, the impact, the people that were transformed, the anointing that rested upon him during those times was exponential. And church, these things have been told to us. These things have been shown us. And I believe today that when we step into that place, into that role, and I know there's many ways. We, we actually can pray in the Spirit in English. Don't misunderstand me. You can. But it's praying in the Spirit. It's allowing Holy Spirit to move. It's allowing Him to take control. It's allowing Him to move. And, and look, at when I say take control, that mean, doesn't mean you're out of control. God is a good God. Listen, church, he's a gentleman. He doesn't come in and he's not going to flap your arms around and make you run around like acting like a chicken and all of that stuff. He's not. Now, if he does, great, I'm good with it. But you know what? I, I don't care. I really, I have come to a place. I don't care. If it's God, I don't care. I'll cluck. I don't care. Well, I care. But I, I don't, I, God knows me. God knows me. He created me, and he knows, he knows that kind of thing is a little weird for me. So he's not going to go, look, John, I'm just going to make you have a bad day. That's not the heart of God. God works within the framework he created. And he moves in me. And that's why he works in the framework he created in you. And that's why I don't stand in judgment of how you enter into the Holy Spirit. So don't judge, judge me. But I'm stepping into that place. And so church, we cannot afford to not encourage ourselves in the Lord. We're living in some weird days, man. With the election, whatever your bias is politically, you're somebody's upset. You know, one side thinks the other side's against them and back and forth and we're divided. And you know what? The reality is, the reality is in the end, I know it matters. Don't misunderstand. It does matter. But you know what? In the end, God's coming through. And so while I, while, yes, amen, give them glory for that. So I'm not going to be flippant because I believe the elections and who's in, the, in office does matter. But at the end of the day, that is not the end of the equation. God is. God is the end of the equation. Because I guarantee you there have been Christians and people of God that have lived f through far worse, infinitely worse. And look, at, don't let your mind travel that, oh, this is going to get bad. It doesn't have to. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, the end times that we get is the end times we believe for. You say, how, how can that be? Well, because God prophesied both. He said there can be destruction, or he says, you know what? You're going to hammer your swords into plowshares, and everybody's going to get along. It's both, they're both in there, both sides. Maybe the end times we get is what we believe for, how we react. Somehow we got this idea. We've got, in the new, here in our New Testament era, we got an Old Testament God. He ain't an Old Testament God. He's a loving Father who sent his only begotten son to die 
so that we'd have a chance. Listen to that. A chance to know him. There was no guarantee. So church, we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We need to build ourselves up. We, we need to get alone with God. We need to. We need to make time. Don't, don't, don't start off with, oh, yeah, I'm going to go up in the mountains for a week and be alone. You're probably coming down in 15, 20 minutes because it'll drive you nuts. Start with five minutes. Go, look, I'm going to go into my bedroom. I'm going to shut the door, and I'm going to be alone with God for five minutes. Start there. Let that little seed grow. Then, then begin to practice the presence. Begin to practice the presence. Acknowledge him everywhere you go. Meditate upon his word. Remember what he's already done. Worship him and pray in the Holy Spirit. I tell you, it'll change your life. Can you say amen? amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful, God, for your grace and your goodness. And Father, we just pray, God, that you would be with us. Father, we thank you for the revelation that you give us, Lord. We thank you, God, that you encourage us and strengthen us. And Father, we pray, Lord, that as these days turn into weeks and weeks into month, months, God, we, we pray that as we find ourselves alone with you, God, that we would sense your presence, that we would become increasingly more and more aware of you. God, help us to remember. God, as we meditate on your word and we remember the things you've done, help us to step into that place of worship. Help us, Lord, to enter into that prayer in the Holy Spirit. And Father, we just give you the glory for all that you're doing. We thank you for your revelation today. And we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. We're going to release you today. Remember, remember, everybody, uh, breakthrough tonight, 6 o'clock, breakthrough right here in, in the sanctuary. You say, well, it's a little bit early. It is because of Thanksgiving. We're doing it one week early just because of the Thanksgiving holiday. But let's stand to our feet all across this place. We're going to release you, let you go. Love one another as you go. God bless you. We will see you tonight or we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.